0: Welcome to If You've Come This Far. Uh, this is our uh, podcast uh, that I get to do with my friend Sean. My name's Chris, uh, and, and I'll ask Sean to introduce us to uh, our our guest today.
1: So our guest today is Ryan Bayron. Uh, I think I met Ryan a couple of years ago, maybe a, maybe a little more Um through a men living event. Um, Ryan is uh, an interesting cat. So he is um, a husband, a father uh, to a three-year-old son. He um, is a graphic designer. He's an energy healer. He runs a podcast with his friend, Abby called True North. And he is the holistic mystic uh, which is his TikTok handle who the holistic mystic has 281,000 followers and uh he's making quite a splash on TikTok. So we have a very I think a very interesting discussion with Ryan about life uh being on social media um and just kind of the experiences of of having Two hundred eighty-one thousand people that might be interested in what you have to say, and uh, I think it was an interesting discussion. Now I might now I need need to add that I say about ten words on this podcast. My friend Chris and and Ryan dominate. Um, but I'll be back. I'll be, thank you for letting me do the intro. So sure <laughs>
0: me in that. I have apologized profusely <laughs> since I sucked up all the oxygen on Monday. Um, I got a question. As, as a couple of middle aged men uh, who, who may not be altogether fluent in social media, I'm pretty sure the word influencer is, is a meaningful term. Uh, I, I, um, is there a threshold above which one has to go to be considered an influencer?
1: No, I think he would, I think he would have been above that for I sure. He, I think he's in that mix for sure. I think that, I think that threshold is probably always changing. Um, but, but certainly he's having an influence on a lot of people's lives. Um, and, uh, he's a, a very smart guy and very engaging guy. I think folks will enjoy
0: this conversation. Yeah, this is a good one. This is a good one. Well, let's, let's get on with it. Okay.
2: Awesome. Is this um is it cool with y'all if my 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 toddler comes in to say goodnight in the middle of our recording? Is that
0: absolutely yeah okay
2: let me let me text the wife she's adamant about keeping him out while we're recording. I'm like, I don't think this is that type of podcast. car. This is not nope. that type
0: of podcast. No. We're here to have a conversation, and if no. your co-workers uh join us, <laughs> that's great.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Um how, how uh you, so you got one little one? Mm-hmm. I do have one, I've got one little, one little three-year-old and we did, we did IVF. And so we actually had four fertilized embryos, two of which became him. And at the time we were kind of hoping that those two would turn into twins. Mm -hmm. And now I think about that and just laugh. I just (laughs) laugh myself to sleep in the middle of the afternoon because I think this kid also got the memo that we wanted him to be twins and he's <laughs> doing his best to please us.
0: <laughs> he's uh he's active, it sounds he's like he's trying
2: to live up to the height of uh mm-hmm. I don't know him. how we could have two of them. i hear that like a lot of times they're opposites and we would need that to be the case. But if that were the case, then the other twin would just sleep all the time. They would just be the calmest, easiest kid ever. Because there's there's just no more room for more. Yeah, <laughs> this right. kid gives us
0: right yeah and three is a three is a an age where you you, you know it's like testing the boundaries and wanting to see everything and get into everything
2: good lord he's like he's discovering himself i mean they're always discovering themselves right like you watch your, your infant discover that they have a tongue and that's fine for a couple of days and then <laughs> and it's like every phase they're discovering that, i mean hell i'm discovering myself we're discovering ourselves right but then like right. there's a certain <laughs> there are certain ages in which it's particularly entertaining to watch especially from the vantage of point of like someone who's discovered themselves a little bit more and like watching him work things out and watching him process and figure out how to be in the world and be in a body and be in a family. It's just, it's, it's it is the, he's my greatest teacher and my greatest source of entertainment all, all at once.
0: You know, what's funny is uh, a couple of weeks ago we'll talk about, you know, discovering things. Um, this 51 year old uh, uh, was slow to discover TikTok. And a couple of weeks ago, Sean brought up all of, all of what you're doing on TikTok, and I literally we were sitting on a Zoom call and we were going, "Well, how do we get to it? Well, I what do we what do we do we go to TikTok.com? What do we where do we look? What wait, do we search wait, for? Wait, wait, wait! Don't no, say don't. we. No, no, don't no. Don't say we. No, don't say true. we. You couldn't we, help me. No, that's a
1: different. Well, <laughs> we'll get into that story, but. I mean I because I swore on because I, I swore off social media. Okay, if fair
2: you if you are in your 50s, there's no such thing as being slow to TikTok. If you get there at all, you're ahead of the game.
0: Thank you. And you that was a huge boost to my ego right there. I'm That's not sure if my kids would agree with you. <laughs> um <laughs> hey, look, here's the good news. The good news is through your website, I was able to to you know find you and, and I've had a chance to to look at a lot of your stuff and uh when you say that your, your little boy is your greatest teacher um, it seems like you're doing a pretty good job yourself of, 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 uh, of thinking on things and, and, and trying to discover new things. So hats off. I mean, it's, it's really neat to see you uh, well, to understand that platform a little bit better and to see how you're using it.
2: Thank you. It's um, it's been interesting. I, I didn't, um, I mean, I didn't expect it to become a thing, you know, like you, is that about to, you you're, just playing the game people make one minute videos you make content and and then it's out there you know and so i was kind of trying to i mean i was pretending is what i was doing i was acting like i had an audience acting like i had something to say and trying to figure out what it would look like and then like one morning i woke up like one night i went to bed with 300 followers and the next morning i woke up with a quarter million and a video that was two weeks old which in TikTok lifespan, like that thing's dead. Like it's dead, if it's more than five minutes old then the thing is dead, right? Like it's just such a fast environment. Nobody watches two-week-old videos in a platform like that. But someone had gotten their hands on it and it had like 20 million views and other podcasts were like playing the audio from it and people were like just eating it up. And I'm like, holy shit. Wow, that's not, crazy. Not people are Now people are watching.
0: What's, and- um, can, can you, can you, tell me which what was the subject of that particular video
2: uh, therapy i was it's 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 the most unassuming video out of any of the ones i've done i'm just sitting there like gardening and i was just like talking about my first day in therapy and how they were like my therapist was like at the end of our first session She was like you seem really really well adjusted compared to people who normally come into my office for the first time like why are you here what do you what do you think you need therapy for and I said, well, I'm a good husband and a good father and a good friend and a good employee, but I want to be great at those things. And I feel like if I could be great at them on my own, I would have by now. So I'm just getting help. And she broke that down. She was like, okay, husband is someone you are for your wife. Father is someone for your kid. Employee is someone you are for your boss. Friend is someone. Who are you for yourself? And that was the first time in my life I'd ever really engaged with that question. I just I just started crying. And I was like, "There's there's not a person at the end of all that. And she was like, that's why you're in therapy. Oh, man. And then, so I'll, that's literally, I just tell that, it, that's almost a word for word transcription of that TikTok video. And then it just, and that's the thing that blew up. And the comments were just crazy. People it, gets, asking, it, start, it started like an eight part series of just me answering questions that people were asking in the comments, that one video. And then there was this whole little on how to be a self type of thing. And then those had more comments with more questions. And it just, it was just, it's still, it's still going on people are still engaging with that video and it's a couple months it's like a month old
0: hey that gives me goosebumps um just that, you know her uh, whoever your therapist is his or her insight um is pretty pretty neat pretty powerful can i ask you so when when was this your first therapy session mm. i'm
2: trying to trace back because it like those are domino effect from that day to like where I am now, and so hard to trace that back in chapters. And I'd say maybe three years ago. Okay, around three years ago.
0: Um, it, and when was the first time you ever thought about seeking therapy? Cause, and the reason I ask is because, I mean, I, I don't know you personally that well, but I know a lot about you, or I know some about you, and you're pretty thoughtful, pretty self-aware. Um, and so on the one hand, I'm like, there's no way this guy only first thought about therapy when he was however old you are now. Yeah, I thought about
2: therapy for the first time like two weeks before I went.
0: Wow. Was there anything that yeah. tri- triggered it? Or I mean, did
2: the- Oh, yeah. every Everything in, lo- in my life was crumbling around the- me. It was just... Like, I was on the rocks with my job. I was in the busiest season of the year at my job in the worst, like, performance situation. Like, I was, I was, I'm trying to figure out how to tell a story without making anybody look like painting someone in a bad light, because it's just a whole bunch of people who are doing their best with what they had. Um, and I and I have a habit of telling the story, and then people will vilify certain characters, and I don't think it's that way at all. But I was I was on a creative team at a at a big company, really close to the top, like unreasonably close to the top of the hierarchy. I didn't I didn't I feel like I didn't really earn my place there. I just kind of like stumbled into it, and they didn't kick me out, so I kept doing the thing. And um, and in one week, my boss told me a out of all the creatives in this entire company, you are head and shoulders above the rest, the top person we have. And then a little bit later, they put me on a performance improvement plan. That was a little whiplashy, but this was at the tail end of like a year long decline of, of my relationship with my boss due to his expectations and my output, and there was a, a greater divide that was ever widening. And um, so relationally, when we're in the best place, we, we we were kind of at the end of our rope with, with how to tackle me living up to what he wanted me to be. And that's really confusing because he just told me that I was the best in the company. And so the way that I parsed that out is my creative output was better than the creative output of other creative people in this company, according to him. But everything else sucked. My executive function, my administration, I didn't read emails, I didn't respond to emails, I didn't even check my email. I didn't communicate. I missed almost every deadline. Didn't negotiate. I just missed it. Didn't keep people updated. I just pushed things back and people like had to scramble to pick up the pieces of of Ryan's inability to be on top of his shit, you know, uh, scheduling things and following up, just all the administrative oil that greases the gears of you being able to do your job. I just, I was good at one thing and everything else I wasn't, you know? And so that's why they put me on the performance improvement plan, which if anybody doesn't know what that means, that's corporate America's way of saying, we're going to fire you. And we need this paper trail to show that we quote unquote, gave you a shot before we can fire you for this. Mm -hmm. That was basically fire. And at that same time, my marriage was in the worst spot it had been in to date and that we'd been married for over a decade at that point. Um, So it's the busiest time of year. I'm in the worst performance situation, boss relationship situation I've been in. My marriage is in the worst situation it's been in. We have a newborn that I'm not seeing because I'm working 14 to 18 hours a day, seven days a week. And I I just cracked. I was just like, this is not, sustainable I can't do this oh and we were in the middle of buying a house we were in the middle of selling and buying a house at the same time all of this was going on so it is a lot and any well adjusted person is going to feel like things are caving in around them in that environment but a lot of the things that were really keeping me up at night and draining my soul were relational things and I wanted to get help figuring that out and I had noticed that the way I felt about those situations was compiling how I felt about those situations. You know, you have your emotion, which is your response to the stimulus, and then you have your secondary emotion, which is your response to the first emotion. And then that's a rabbit hole you could go down all day. And so taking inventory of that made me feel like I need to call in reinforcements. And so that's when I said, I need to go to therapy. And then I also, at the same time, got di- I, I tried to see if I had like a learning disability or an executive function disorder. So I started going that diagnosis rabbit trail. And then that's also what led me to get diagnosed with ADHD.
0: Yeah, I saw some of your posts on ADHD. I haven't looked at or watched um, many of those yet, but um, uh, it, it, are you still with, I'm just curious, are you still with the same therapist?
2: No, not with the same company, not with the same therapist. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but this was a really good therapist. Like she nailed it on her. On your well, floor. here's the thing,
2: a- like any therapist worth their salt is gonna ask you that question. Like That's it was mind blowing to me because I've never been to therapy before. But people who have done that thing, like they're like, oh yeah, of course. I mean, Yeah, welcome to the club. That's how it uh-huh. goes, you know? Um, and so most of the, the I think the, the biggest reason that that video about that took off was because the people who, who were hit the hardest by it had never gone to therapy, you know? Uh-huh, so they right. hadn't been exposed to that type of thinking. And there was nothing wrong with that therapist. I just, you know, it's kind of like marrying the first person you date. And I was like, uh-huh. "There's got to be like what else is out there?" You know, like, play, the, play, play the
0: field, play the field. First. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just
2: see what else is out there, and if I, you know, go out there and find other therapists, and then I was busy. I'll come back, and then I found someone who uh rhymed with me a little bit, a lot better.
0: Than yeah, I've yeah. Been with her ever since. Um. So, agree with the way people use pips. Um, and sometimes people use PIPs because they think a person can, can really grow through the PIP. Mm -hmm. Um, you've said that you left that company. My guess is, uh, this is sort of not in the form of a question, but it is a question. Um, my guess is that you did learn from that conversation and that PIP, is that, is that safe to say, or like
2: how? Mm -hmm. Yes and no. A pip itself, as you're probably aware, is a very stress-inducing experience. And stress is a huge inhibitor of productivity and focus. And so, in a way, putting someone on a pip, just that fact alone, almost guarantees that they don't, that they're not successful. That being said, once I departed from that company. And I spent a year, 18 months being unemployed, burning through the 401k that I built up while I was there.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: That time of reflection and quiet and stillness is where the real learning happened. But it wasn't reflecting on the PIP itself. It was reflecting on my entire experience of being there Um, and where it started and where it led and why and (laughs) man i guess i'm still processing that because that's like that's hitting me somewhere unexpectedly so but yeah it was it was taking that time to just to just review it that all the learning happened you know and yeah i I think i eventually learned the thing that a pip ideally is there to teach you because i have a new employer and (laughs) everything my last boss wanted me to be i am now kind of that Mm -hmm. um and there's other companies benefiting from it and so obviously I learned I learned what I what I was what 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 they wanted me to learn at the last job but I think honestly I think it took being separated from them and having space and distance and perspective for the the learning to really sink in because if I learned it on the job congratulations you have this job it's Mm -hmm. still It's still expectations through the roof. It's still a fast pace. It's still this culture that it kind of values you according to your output instead of your you as a person. Mm -hmm. And so keeping that job wasn't really that much of a carrot. Mm -hmm. And leaving that job sure felt like a stick at the time, but I mean
1: not that I particularly want to do that. Not, not that I particularly want to go down this rabbit hole, but I think PIPs or performance improvement plans for the most part are just the formality process yes. of having to let someone go mm-hmm. rather than just letting someone go. So, so it's really a charade. I mean, it's, it's unfortunate, I think. I mean, I don't know how you felt about it, Ryan, but I, you know, just in my experience anyways, and, uh, and I think it's unfortunate, but.
2: Yeah, well, it just – it is. And it feels really cynical to sit here and say that that's – that it's all just them trying to check a box so they can fire you, right? Because there are people who have gone through pips and are really successful on the other side of it. And if you have a good boss – and honestly, my my manager, that was his last resort. He tried – everything he (laughs) possibly could and he was like i don't know i don't know how many times he pulled me aside was like i don't know what to do with you anymore i i don't know you know like he was literally at the end of his rope this was the last option and he he you know i mean you got to give it to him for trying you know and um and so i don't think there's anything inherently immoral or wrong or or can i cuss on this podcast yeah i mean i I don't think they're completely bullshit yeah but if you think a PIP is just them checking a box so they can fire you, then how are you going to have hope?
0: Uh-huh.
2: How are you yeah. even going to muster up what it takes to be successful? And do you even want to be successful? Do you even want to stay with that company at that mm-hmm. point? They're literally right. reducing you down to a metric. Right. And that's, I mean, they're all, you're only ever a metric to them, but some companies do a really good job of pulling off this 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 culture where you feel like you're more you fee- you go out for drinks afterwards you you talk about each other's kids you're on maybe your facebook friends and so there's this family culture and this you, you know you think you're more until the productivity slides yeah and then you realize you never it was never more than that and that's a hard realization to stomach when your job is on the line yeah right you know, that's a lot
0: Yeah, if I could borrow your own words, in one of your uh, uh, on being a self videos, you were, I think you must have been responding to someone and you said, you don't need to fix yourself because you're not broken. Mm -hmm. But a pip sure does sort of make one feel broken, I guess, in a way, right? Because if, you know, it's our last resort, and we haven't been able to fix you with air quotes uh, up to this point. So here we are. So yeah, it's, I, I should probably be more thoughtful. It's not like I, I'm handing out pips all the time. Don't get me wrong. Um, and for the record, Ryan, um, despite us pulling the rug out from under you on trying to schedule this podcast, your email responsiveness was superb and your emails were fantastic. <laughs> so, <laughs> so look at that. Yeah. Uh, so you know um, go ahead, go ahead. No, I, want to, I want to hear what you're going to say. Well, I, I, I you know, uh I know how much you do with your podcast, and it seems like you put a lot into your TikTok channel. And we started out talking about your desire to, to be a better husband and a better father, and it sounds like you're passionate about your work too. So, like, that's a lot of balls in the air. I'm I'm curious mm-hmm. how well you feel your your. We, we I remember one time in one of our uh, Men Living meetings. We've probably done this more than once, but a long time ago, we did an exercise where you you map out a pie and you use assign how much of your time and energy you spend towards family towards job towards physical health towards spirituality whatever and then next to that you you put how much time you actually uh, or mm-hmm. how much time you wish you could spend on those things and mm-hmm. invariably people come up with a real misalignment you're like fuck mm-hmm. when i think about it i'm not giving my 3 year old son nearly as much time as i want to give my 3 year old son so my question for you is how, how are you doing on that right now, especially because you are juggling so many balls?
2: So I want to go a little deeper with you because the balls that are being juggled are the tangible physical time and space expression of the animating energies beneath them. And those energies I'm talking about are the emotional labor that we spend before, during, and after the event itself. And so the pie chart that I place a lot of priority on managing is where I'm spending my emotional labor. And I do something that I've called bringing it home, which means taking all the things that I outsource to other people, and I bring them home. And then I take all the things that um, other people outsource to me, and I say no thanks. And so, on an emotional labor level, what this looks like in the tangible world is there's this classic trope of wife brings personal problem to husband just to talk about it, and husband does what tries to fix it. Yeah, always. Okay, so what you're doing is you are you are letting her outsource, and maybe not even letting her, you're taking something that's supposed to be on her plate and you're putting it on yours, right? Is she a full grown adult capable of solving her own problems? Yeah, so let her solve them. And so she was talking to me about something that she's going through today. And um, this was something she we, we'd been going back and forth on for the last few days while it's been going on. And she talked and she talked and I listened and I listened and I said, I am currently resisting the urge to interject my opinion. And she said, thanks. And then she kept on talking and I kept on listening and that was the end of that conversation. I saved myself a shit ton of emotional labor right there that was never mine to spend on that in the first place. And then later the thing develops and she says, okay, well, here's the update. And then she asked me a question. She says, what would you do in this situation? And then I answered her question and then she took that and she handled it. And I saw a change of course. I saw a little bit of a pivot, a little bit of emotional adjustment in her and a change of strategy, right? But the thing that she did wasn't even the thing I said I would do. It's just something I said unlocked something in her that gave her something to plug into her own little equation. And then I got, and then I and then I cleared the cash, Right. And so in that situation, being a good husband is actually less work. Than I was making it before when I thought that's what being a good husband was. I thought being a good husband was solving the problem, Mm -hmm. or being a sounding board, or giving that advice, or mansplaining the thing. You know, but it took very little energy to just listen, and then affirm, and say how you're feeling is valid, and then that's it. Until she asks a question, and then answer it. So you know, and so that's kind of what what um, what I've been working on is is. Um, just drawing those boundaries, not boundaries with people, but boundaries. Like the only boundary that matters to me is the one that delineates where I end and the rest of the world begins. And so I try not to outsource my emotional regulation to other people. I try not to require things of them and then predicate my own emotional stability on what I get from other people. Right? You have a falling out with somebody, and I'm not going to stop being mad at you until you own up to what you did right? Well, that's me outsourcing my emotional regulation to you. And so I just chose to stop doing that. And what that's done is it's freed up a lot of emotional labor points that I can spend where I think they're most well spent because I'm choosing not to spend them where I never had any business spending them in the first place. And so then what that does is it frees me up to have a bunch of balls in the air because every ball requires a fraction of the actual energy that we think it does. Most of them manage themselves. We we tell ourselves a story that we have to keep it going. We have, we tell ourselves a story that we are the engine of all of the things. And if we don't pour all this time into them, they're not going to happen, but that's the world's so much bigger than that. And like my kid's going to grow up with or without me, he's going to learn lessons with or without me. He's going to, He's going to figure his shit out on his own. He already is. Mm-hmm. He doesn't need me to make every single thing a teachable moment. You know, just, just be present with him and just be present with my wife. Be present with myself. Be present with my work. And when I'm present with a thing, choose not to be present with anything else at all. And it doesn't really matter how many balls you have in the air. They all seem like bubbles. It's just a whole lot lighter. And it's just easier to watch them do their thing instead of try to make them do it.
0: That's great stuff. I uh, one of my favorite recent quotes uh, is uh, Walt Whitman quote that says, "Be curious, not judgmental. And mm-hmm. I don't know why it is for me personally. I mean, I think it's partly because I'm an engineer, probably a little bit because it's typical of of men, men like man behavior to mm-hmm. race the solution. Um, it's it's a white dominant behavior for sure uh, to to raise the solution. and um, and I just like to solve problems but but but, to your point, like if you were and, and i'll do it um i mean this is not a confessional but but I'll do it with piddly ass problems that that to your point are gonna work themselves out and the return on solving the problem isn't that great in the first place but it's something I've tried to work on too it's just like consider really what my wife needs. And to your point, you know, sometimes it's just to be heard or to be validated uh, and not try to solve everything. So I will definitely take that away from here and maybe it'll free up some of my pie space.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think about like, I grew up playing video games, so everything was points. But my question I asked myself, like I asked, one of the things I asked my wife was like, are you sure that this is worth your spending emotional caring points on? Like, if you only have so many emotional give a shits in a day, is this worth spending all of the ones you're spending? Because it's pretty expensive, and you're putting a lot into this.
0: Uh-huh. And
2: and so, just asking that question: Is this worth the time points I'm spending on it? Is this worth the effort? Is this worth the give a shits? Is this worth the the fight points? Oh, I'm offended that you said a thing, and now I'm going to go fight you. Is that worth my fight points? Right, and treating all those things like a like a like a finite resource. Uh, I have a certain very small number of argue with people in the comment section of social media post points. I have some. (laughs) I allow myself some because I'm a cishet light-skinned dude. And so what that means is allyship, fighting the fight and going to bat for people for whom it takes so much energy just to get through the day that maybe they don't have anything left in the tank to then go fight for their own rights. But I got all the Energy and tank because I don't have any barriers between me and the life I want to live. So I'm going to use that life to break down the barriers for others. Right. And in this day and age, that happens predominantly in the comments section of social media posts. Uh-huh. So I do give myself some argue with strangers on the internet points. But when I'm out, I'm out. And so the question is like, going back to your pie chart, how many points do I allocate for myself in these different categories of giving shits and caring? And it's all emotional expenditure. Mm -hmm. It's not time or physical energy or voice usage. It's how much much am I going to pour emotion and soul into this? And then constantly asking myself, is this worth the fill in the blank points that that I feel compelled to spend on? And sometimes the answer is Yeah. I had two nights last week. I was up until 3am writing my book because it was worth trading some sleep points for book points uh-huh. temporarily. Cause then when it's done, you know, I can recover that. And So it's not about like, I'm not here to prescribe how someone should spend those points, but I, I, I I'm in the habit of asking, checking in with myself, being mindful of how I'm spending them and does it align with how I feel is it's in the best interests of everyone involved for me to spend in that way. And then just asking the question kind of helps me, if nothing else, recenter myself. So and, and you seem
0: super, super cerebral to me, which is not to say that
2: uh, I'm not
0: I'm not making up a story that you spend all your time in your head, not your heart, because here you are talking about emotional labor. But um, is that a struggle for you to, to get out of your head sometimes? <sighs> That's such a tricky
2: concept. Um, such a tricky concept, because I do feel like I have an inner inner monologue that sometimes an inner dialogue or an inner whatever is the word for multiple, like it's, I always have something going on. There's always chatter,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? And sometimes I tune in and sometimes I tune it out. And I've noticed that when people tend to have that trait, They often spend a lot of time in their head and not a lot of time in their body. Weirdly, I spend a lot of time in my body. I have to really work to get back into my head. When I wanna, and I'm tackling some issues on my TikTok channel. I've been talking about, you know, um, misogyny, patriarchy, sexual assault. I've talked about, like, right now I'm going on this whole capitalism tear and we've been talking about the masks and the vaccines. It's all like really emotionally charged stuff, but I'm filtering it through my brain to make sure I can say the right words to reach the most people with something that is um, paradigm shifting without being threatening, which is really hard to do. And so I spend a lot of time in my head when I'm formulating messaging, but that's a lot of effort points for me because I normally live in my body. Like I spend most of my time in my body. So uh, appearing cerebral is the result of a lot of work. It's not, it does not come naturally to me. It's like, I'm an artist and I paint and people are like, oh, you're so creative. I'm like, well, you know, in my head, this is a paint by numbers. Like it is an Excel spreadsheet that just looks like a painting because you don't see my left brain process that I'm using to get there. (laughs) And so it's all like, it's all blurred. All of my, all of the dichotomous thought behind mind, body, left brain, right brain, analytical, creative. I straddle those and integrate them so much that it's really difficult for me to even pinpoint if or when I live in one and not the other, because to me, the line is blurred between what is one and what is not the other.
0: I'm curious uh, how much you know about your followers. Um, Like what is the profile? I mean, it's unfair to say what is the profile of several hundred thousand, however many followers you have. Um,
1: Mm -hmm. I think it's about 281,000.
0: Thank you mr spreadsheet um i like that uh wh- like wh- who is who is noticing ryan bayron and who is finding ryan bayron's um tiktok's um worth listening to
2: so what we're looking at here is uh 71.1 female 28.9 percent male which is really shitty because tiktok doesn't allow you to put non-binary of them are in the United States and the view times usually peak around 10 PM. But what really happens is like, I've got, I've got a few regulars, a few regulars who like all of my things, comment on all of my things. And when I go live, they're always there. We know each other by name. I know them by their little, um, profile picture and their username and, um, and they're like, if you can say like you have TikTok friends, and those would be my my TikTok friends. I've got a handful of those that like we just discovered that some of us disagree on certain things, but then they'll comment on my videos with their counterpoint and then later say, I would never give this counterpoint to anybody else who espouses the ideology that you're that you're talking about, but it's you. And I trust and respect you. So let's actually have a conversation and then we're off to the races, you know? And so I've got those people where we have some, we've somehow achieved some type of relational bandwidth to um, go places that they won't go with with other content creators. It's like very much a person to person thing not like an audience to the person on the stage type of thing. And those people are all very um present, growth-minded, they're all women, at least they present as female, as far as I know, and they've all lived lives of not just doing their own emotional labor, but that of everyone around them as well, carrying the weight of everyone in their life, and I think one of the things that makes these people my like, um, how do you put this? I, I feel like the only language I have for this is like kind of self-aggrandizing, but like my mo- the, the only thing that makes them my regulars is that my content makes them feel seen because I talk about people who are socialized to not just emotionally regulate for themselves, but for other people. To not just manage themselves, but to manage other people. To not just create their own life, but create the lives of everyone else in their world. Because if they don't, nobody will. And well so I think that's that's kind of like the people who, who tend to be the most responsive to my stuff are the people for whom are the people my content makes feel seen.
0: So, so, so that's the so I guess maybe that's the clue I'm looking for. I mean, I know how hard it is uh um so my organization is a nonprofit, and we've worked for a long time on, on diversity equity and inclusion initiatives we have studied a, a framework called courageous conversations you know we have these solutions to technical aspects of the challenge but at the end of the day the conditions have to be right for courageous conversations to be had and that involves building trust and i'm thinking well how the fuck does someone build trust over tiktok and it and if I'm hearing what you're saying, it sounds to me like, oh, you show you're vulnerable. And suddenly people are like, oh, a friend's vulnerable, then it's okay for me to push back if I disagree with him or, or, you know, like I take what he's saying um, as more trustworthy and more valuable. Um, is that, is, is, does that describe in any way, the relationship you think you have with these people?
2: Yeah. I think trust is a huge part of it. And I can actually pinpoint some things that I think I've done that have uniquely singled me out as one of the more trustworthy people in their experience. And this isn't something I even thought anything of until commenters came and said, holy shit, more people need to do this. And there were two things that are kind of like two different, they're like siblings to another, to another. So the first thing is I will call myself out on my own shit. There was one video that I did where I advised women to stop dating toxic men. And then later I made a video telling guys to stop telling women to stop dating toxic men because those guys should instead be telling men to stop being toxic. And then I noticed that and I made a third video putting them side by side. <laughs> and I was like, I have my own growing to do and you're gonna see it happen. I'm not deleting the old stuff just because I'm outgrown it, but here's me directly contradicting myself. And then now, I'm not this is where I'm at. So yeah, no one, no one is immune to cognitive dissonance, but also no one's immune to growth. And this is what growth looks like. Or then somebody else did something similar where I I, um, I spent a couple videos kind of like um, bashing the muscular dudes who seem to want to get muscular just so that they can look muscular, like the whole vanity play. And then later I posted something that was really body positive for the female body. And someone commented and was like, you're not really body positive because mm. you just got done bashing all these guys who have giant muscles. And I responded with, you're right. Mm. And I did this whole thing about like, I, I think if I were to do some digging, I, I, it's easy for me to rail against those guys because I, at the end of the day, I'm insecure. And I, I, I was called, I was socialized to want to look like them and I have a hard time dealing with the fact that I don't. And so doing things like that, I think, make me seem a lot more trustworthy than people who don't do that. Because then it makes it makes people feel like they can actually challenge me without me jumping down their throat about it. And then I, they also see that I'm not even waiting for someone to challenge me to then update my, my paradigm and change my tune. And I'm not afraid to own my mistakes publicly and um so when people see that it's i mean how could that scream anything other than trustworthy
0: yeah no i love that well i i would i would argue that the corollary to this is the world wouldn't be a better place if any of us sort of sat quietly because we were afraid to make mistakes so being willing to uh you know and this this applies in all the stuff we we you're working on and we a lot of us working on like misogyny anti-racism whatever like with with a little bit of grace it's good but when people are like i just want to try and i'm going to fuck up but but know that the intention is good and it's not for you know lack of effort so um i love that you don't take shit down that makes you look you know inconsistent or 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 silly so i appreciate right and it needs
2: to be people well that's thing too is in the last year or so, one thing I've learned from parenting is that one of the best ways to teach him anything is by modeling it. In fact, you don't even like you're, you're modeling whether or not you realize you're modeling, you know, and, and, uh, so I've started to kind of like move that into what I've been doing on TikTok, right? I am holding men accountable. I'm holding white people accountable. I'm holding the church accountable, but what do I want them to do with that? What do I want them to do? I do I want them to sit there and be like, you know, you're right. I was doing it wrong this whole time. And um, because you said those words, I'm going to start doing it right. Well, I don't think it's that simple. But if I'm going to even ask for some version of that, something even in the ballpark of that, I increase the odds if I model what that looks like for them. Because then they also know that of all the places in, in the TikTok world, my page is a safe place for them to do that if they decide that they want to. Because I'm doing it too.
0: Yeah, you, you just reminded me of another one of your TikToks that I love. Sorry, Sean. I, every episode of this podcast, I have to apologize to Sean because I take up too much airspace. Um, but I'm fired up about this. So the the, the, <laughs> the the one the one you did about the the, the pastor inviting atheists, I may have that slightly off, uh-huh. right? atheists uh-huh. in the church, um, uh-huh. I don't want to take us on that path, but Sean, have you, have you, did you see that one?
1: I, I may have. I watched, I watched some of the more recent ones.
0: It, it, it's a lesson, Ryan. I thought, I thought what I was hearing is a lesson way bigger than just church. Would you, do you remember that yes. one? Could you share that?
2: Yeah. So the, the short version is there was, um, one of the churches that I was on the, on the worship team at, at the end of the service, they did this, um, this kind of communal art I said the short version there's no short versions of stories with me it's going to be a long version I'm just going to own that right now do it it. I'm thinking like is there am I going to truncate this no I am not let's just call it like it is so there was this there was like a, a collaborative art piece in the back of the in the back of the auditorium at the end of the service where um the sermon was about how there was room enough for anybody and everybody within the church in like some platonic ideal version of what the church is supposed to be And so. We made this collaborative art piece i was this big board and it was painted white and it had um, the logo in the middle i think because like yarn art with the nails and stuff and then a lot of open space around the edges and what the people were supposed to do is take a sharpie and write room enough for and then write something about themselves that they thought maybe there wasn't room enough for in the capital c church and we had a lot of members of the lgbtq community we had like there a lot of people who who the church says, no, there's not room for you. They found their way to our church because it's like the only one in the area, a very, very, um, you know, upper middle class, white conservative part of the Bible belt where they can find acceptance. And so it was a lot of different stuff on this thing. But one person said, I don't think I can really even write anything on here because I'm an atheist. And she just happened to be saying that to the pastor's wife. So the pastor's wife took the Sharpie and said, room enough for atheists. And, because there was, that one of the things that that pastor said at the next church that he started was um, homogeneity of thought is a dangerous thing. And I do not want to create a situation in which everybody believes all of the same things because it's not a church, that's a cult. And so he he wants atheists there. Not so that he can convert them, but so that they can keep everyone else in check. And um, so there are atheists that go to that church currently and who have no interest in believing or converting, but they love the community, they love the relationship, and they love that they can have that community and that relationship with people who do believe in this stuff without them saying, we can't connect as humans because we don't agree on some stuff. And you're still welcome here, and your thoughts are welcome, and you're... Your ideas are welcome and your opinions are welcome and i'm gonna grow from you challenging the things that i grew up repeating in my echo chamber that i was born in and so yeah that, that that's applicable to church for sure but it's also applicable to like anywhere that there are communities and cl- i must have clicks that's a that's a judgment judgmental word but i mean but here's the other part of that though we are tribal creatures we need not need, but we gravitate towards communities of like-minded people. We just do. There's something about solidarity and and understanding and having a common language, you know um and there's value in that. and so if if I were to one of the things I've learned having audiences is that if you say a statement, people will take that statement and then, pick a direction and just shoot your statement as far as will possibly go in that direction right, right. and then argue with what they find there, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so I am kind of like when I catch that line of real people back in, it'd be like, there is a value in community with some level of um, central theme, but excluding people from that community because they don't dive with that central theme is an attitude, a posture of the heart, that I think we collectively could stand to grow out of, or at the very least, move away from.
0: Yeah, I I agree a thousand percent. Like there's a, there's an epidemic fear of anything that's different. You know, you see this when you talk about critical race theory, like people are like, oh my God, that's just different than what we've already, and some people say much worse than that, but, Mm -hmm. but yeah. uh, So it's almost like, being willing to take chances and 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 perhaps make some mistakes uh similarly it's 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 refreshing to just invite ideas that you never considered before right i i i think that's a really healthy thing and we can still be tribal creatures
2: yes it is always it's always it's a both and it's definitely a both and and again the comment section of that one was was a really fun That was fun to read. I didn't really interact too much with it because it's one of those things people get really, really hyped up about.
0: Sure, third um, rail, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. yeah. And I've learned how to really spot when someone wants to have a discussion and when they just want to say their thing. And Uh if someone wants to say, I'm like, okay, you can, you can say your thing. Yeah, my people people will get you. I don't have to spend emotional points on that. (laughs) I've got (laughs) got audience members on my team who will just go have your little conversation. Um, emotional, emotional points is
0: going to be one of my takeaways for sure to think about uh, about my my life in that context um at some point sean i don't know if you if if you if you want to weigh in here but at some point before we let ryan go i want to i want to hear if you're willing to talk about the book that you're writing i, I think i have some idea but but uh if you're my book yeah
2: oh shit and giggles okay i need to tell you do I need to tell you the backstory. when are, when are we how much time do we have? Is this an hour long? Do we really only have sixteen minutes left?
0: No, no, we we blocked uh, uh, an hour and fifteen. Um, and yes, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no short stories here.
2: Okay. so do you know what nano-rimo is? and I'm not going to spell out, it's National Novel Writers Month. It's the first few letters from each of those and they put them all together. And it's just like every November, there's like a website and an app and people just decide, I'm going to hunker down and write an entire novel this month. And so you track how many words you write every day. And it's like this bar chart and you compare yourself to the the rest of the people. And it's a fun, it's like a. It's kind of like gamifying doing the thing that you tell yourself to do and you never do. Okay. And I always I had a book in me and I didn't know what it was about. So I just opened a word pad and started writing. In November, and I did. I got I got thirty thousand words out that that November, and it was kind of like a the, the first person account of my entire deconstruction from my Southern Baptist Protestant evangelical roots to whatever the fuck I am right now. Step by step, right. This was the first crack in the glass. This was the second one. Here's the, the struggle. Here, here's that thing, and it just takes you. Like it, it, it is like. It, <laughs> A, a very 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 detailed description of the actual slippery slope that parents are afraid their kids are gonna go down if they listen to rap music or something you know like it's it was that every little tiny step and each one is just a step right it makes sense that that would be the natural progression and then when you stop and you look where you've been you're like i'm not even a christian anymore and and then i i uh i realized that that was a really boring story to everyone who's not me and a lot of the things in that in that manuscript exist in other books that are better and that already exist. And if there's one thing I do not like doing, it's adding to the noise. And so when I took a hard look at it and stripped out everything that I felt either didn't need to be there or existed elsewhere, what I ended up with was a collection of stories about my dad. And some other little things that for some reason fell through the cracks when I was trying to make things fall through the cracks. They like unfelt, I don't know. But that's what it was. And I was like, oh, I thought this was the heart of the book. But really the book is just the heart. <laughs> like, that this is the whole book. And so I took that idea and I sat on it for like three years and didn't touch it. And then um, a lot of signs pointed to now being the time to just crank the fucker out. The stories that they're in my head, they've been in my head. I can regurgitate them word for word.
0: They're there. They're there, man.
2: And I always imagined that I would deliver them from a stage when I go back into public speaking, but I don't know when that's going to be. And in a way, I already kind of found a new stage and I'm already doing my public speaking. So it's going to be a short book. Like I want it to be something that if like, if someone really wants to, they can read it cover to cover in a single pooping. And because uh, on, on a single what yeah, you, can you repeat you that? Me. No, you heard <laughs> me. You heard me. It's going to be small enough to like sit on the tank, you know. And then you just you know it's it's easy, easily digestible. But essentially, it's 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 a bunch of short stories in some sort of like essay format, I guess. It's non-linear. I jump all over the timeline, and um, each story I want it to fit just on two pages. Like you can just open it up and you see the whole story at once. And then each story at the end, kind of like Aesop's Fables, had a little learnable, like the one thing that I took from this experience that I continue to, to build into the thing I'm becoming. And um so yeah, it's just uh that's kind of all it is. It started out as a memoir and it turned into a story about my dad, and it turned into a lot of a lot of little um you know little nuggets. And I, I think that my hypothesis is that. If anybody gets anything out of this book, they're going to get one thing out of one sentence out of one story, and that's fine, you know, because there are a lot of little sentences there, so there's a lot to choose from. It's a menu of of little little arrows to pierce your heart. But my hope is that when it, when it when it hits, it hits hard.
1: So you talked about um, your platform to as a public speaker uh, yeah. being your your TikTok platform and. And, and so I'm curious, so, so net, net, I am negative social media, net, net. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious, I'm curious, a couple things, uh, w- what your objective is through your channel. I mean, you're reaching, I mean, you've got 281 million followers, I think you <laughs> five, five million likes on, on a variety of, of your different posts.
2: You know, I never better
1: than I do. And you did, and you did one about the creator fund uh um, <laughs> yeah which yeah. no which, i mean which i think is really an important message because um certainly these platforms are are ideal for getting messaging out uh,
0: Yeah.
1: but you're investing a lot of time and effort in it so yeah. so talk to me about your objective your relationship with this platform um i mean which is separate from your relationship with your followers i think
2: yeah so the interesting thing, I didn't actually, I don't think I explicitly said this in that video, but I was very implicit that my objective with my TikTok platform is to reach as many people as possible with my message. And I left the creator fund because they reduced my views by 96%. Right. Which anybody listening to this who's familiar with what this is, like, don't fucking join the creator fund, which is its a stupid problem. That's a stupid solve for a stupid problem because they have a certain amount that they pay out per 1,000 views, but then they cut your views. And I'm, I even sent them a message like, why don't you just pay less per view? Like, if you just don't want to pay very much, you created the model. You created that problem, and then you're solving right. it by penalizing people. So my I, it wasn't until I joined the creator fund and saw 300 views instead of 1,000 views on a video, and I was like, well, this... I may as well not even be doing this Mm -hmm. because the only way to boost at that point is to do what? Give TikTok money. And you're going to give them 10 times more than they're giving you. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like this, uh, TikTok, getting money, doing, doing anything money related with TikTok is a problem. And so I immediately pulled out because I'd rather reach people with the message than get paid pennies. Mm -hmm. Right. And then the other thing that really helped me make that decision was owning that. Becoming a part of the fund was kind of like something that I told myself meant something. But like you're a real creator if you're part of the TikTok creator fund. You're, you're one of the legit ones, you know. And there's still like, every now and then I feel, a little, I see somebody with that little verified check mark. And there's a part of me that's like, I want that check mark, you know. And it's 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 all arbitrary and it's all stupid. But that that's in there, right. And so I had to come to grips with that. And I had to give that part of me permission to just let go and bring it home, right? That's what I'm saying. That's the thing. I outsourced my value to an app giving me pennies. Right. And so I had to make the deliberate decision to bring that home. Right. And remind yourself that your value as a creator is not determined by whether or not the platform is paying you for that, for that. Mm-hmm. Your value is in the value that you add to people's lives. And so my objective, my number one objective with TikTok is to add value to people's lives. And then my second objective is to build an audience because when I do change this manuscript to publishers, it is going to be helpful to say, hey, here's 280,000 people who already like what I'm putting out. And I'm already planning on putting together a survey where people are going to say, yes, I would buy the book and here's how much I would pay and take that to publishers right. as well. Yep. And then also like I made this little, <laughs> In my other podcasts, I just kind of like we did an episode on feeling defensive. And I made this little document for myself, a letter from me to me to help me coach me out of being defensive. When I catch myself being defensive, that lists off like flowchart style. Here are all the reasons you're being defensive. And here's why that's bullshit and what you can do to mitigate the thing that kicked you into this mode and get back into rest and digest. And so I turned that into this little like printable document it's got all like these little doodles and shit it's just like a two-page front and back pdf thing that you can download for free if you want or pay money for it and that thing made like 500 bucks in a few days it's worth every
0: penny that's a a tiktok (laughs) asset you did yeah
2: yeah yeah i saw i saw that come through i was like this guy's interviewing me in an hour what happened yeah but like yeah, this, this, this is not a TikTok asset. I, it's like there's a different platform completely called Gumroad where you can just put an item, a digital download product up for sale. You can name the price. You can, I did Gumroad because they allow you to name your own price and they mm-hmm. allow that number to be zero because I don't want there to be, I don't want people who, who literally can't afford to spend money on a download to not be able to have this, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if zero is an option, then when they email this thing to their friends, they're not stealing, they don't feel like they're stealing from me, you know? The piracy thing is that. It's not even a question if it's available for free, but um, yeah, this thing made a shit ton and I made one video to that audience. I say a shit ton because it's like a, it's like, it's a PDF Mm -hmm. and you would never expect a PDF to make that much money, but the, having the platform allows me to make content that I want to make. And if I want to charge for it, then that platform guarantees that I get some, something back. Um, and now I'd be lying if I said that wasn't an objective, but when I sit down to make a video, I do have a habit. I'm literally in the I've trained myself to cultivate a habit of asking myself, are you doing this to gain followers or are you doing this to add value? And if I'm honest with myself and it's not add value, I delete it. I just fucking delete it. I've made, I've spent like time on TikToks on a video. And it's like done and it's all captioned and all the little cuts are time dry and everything's ready to go. And I just fucking delete it. I don't even make another version of it. I just it's gone because my intentions weren't in the right place.
0: So but sort of back, I think back to what what Sean asked too. Like, is is there like a through line to your TikTok channel? Like if I were gonna say, hey, you should go check out this guy, Ryan Bayron, on TikTok. I would say to do that because why?
2: Oh. What is my USP? You know, I would I would love to take credit for this, but I saw this in someone else's profile, and then I couldn't find them, so I couldn't credit them. But you have a little bit of space to put your little bio in TikTok, and everyone says that in order to really gain an audience, you have to have a niche. And this person's bio just said, I am the niche. I was doing a live and somebody came in to the the audience and said, I'm new here. I've never seen any of your stuff. Give me a reason to stay. And I said, no, (laughs) like you can do what you want. If you want to stay, stay. If you don't, don't, but like, I want you to be fulfilled and if what I'm doing isn't fulfilling you, then go find something that is. And she well, said, "Okay, I'm staying." And so I guess to to, to answer your question, I don't I don't know because I think the only reason that I would come up in conversation as a recommended channel is if you're already talking about something that I talk about on the channel. Like uh, I wouldn't even really be inserted into the conversation if there wasn't a video or a topic I'd done that was already relevant. So the question kind of answers itself. You know, well, he talks uh- about this thing. Well, let,
0: let me flip it on, on that question on the side a little bit. Like, um, as you prospectively think about what you want to talk about, is there, is, is there sort of uh, a compass for that? Is it to think critically about social problems? Or, or like- Oh,
2: yes. Yes. Yes, there is. I just realized this is what it is. This, I never thought of this as the North Star, but it always was the North Star. Holy fuck. <laughs> OK, so here's what this is in the last 15 minutes of this, 14 minutes of this thing, I'm going to to let you all know that even though I'm a very critical thinker who's left my religion of origin, I do participate in um, operating as though I have a legit spirit guide who like fucking talks to me. In my head. This spirit guide clued me into the fact that I can do energy healing on other human bodies. And I have all kinds of stories we could get into about why I was so fucking reluctant to buy into any of this shit. And then after doing my darndest to disprove it, it just couldn't be disproved. But I can, if you have a body problem, I. And not just I, every I think every person in a human body can do this. It's just like people don't know that they can. But we can, I'm able to just like, you know, just send the best word for it is energy, just out of me into you. And then the problem goes away, the pain goes away, the injury heals faster, whatever. Right. And this voice in my head was one that told me I could do that and then taught me how. And then I started a healing practice doing energy healing, trying to charge money for it, trying to schedule bookings doing a lot of stuff. And then of course, because I'm me, I got this grandiose idea of saying, how many, How how can I heal as many people as possible before I die? One person at a time is not cutting it. And it's not going to pay the bills because I feel really weird about charging for something that doesn't work half the time, quote unquote work. You know, it does what it's supposed to do, but there are a lot of factors that go into whether or not people see results, so a lot of which are beyond my control. But um, I kind of like wrestled with that for at least half a decade how, how do i incorporate this into my life how do i become a healer how do i be a healer how do i make this my thing because every time i would try to like make that the center of gravity of my life for what i spent my time on it never really went anywhere it did anything and you know um led to anything that i felt like was a thing and then one day i was sitting there talking to my spirit guide and be like why did you do this why did you why why did you put this on my radar in my lab it's not it's not doing. Anything. I told you you were here to heal. I did not tell you you were here to heal other people. I was like, oh. And then I thought about the abuse I suffered at the hands of my dad for the first 11 years of my life before he changed. I thought about the toxic culture I was raised in, in a conservative Baptist church. I thought about all the things that I have that I can heal from. And I haven't been because I've been so focused on making people's sports injuries go away without physical therapy. And then this the answer floated my way. That's how you heal masses upon masses of people. You heal yourself and you pave the way by showing people what that looks like. You share your healing with the world and you give them permission to participate in the phenomenon that is their own healing. You're modeling what it looks like. You're modeling how it works. You're modeling the ups and the downs and the ins and the outs. And you're making your little corner of the universe a safe place for them to try that on for size and explore what that might look like. Not just giving them resources and tools, but pointing them to other people who give them better ones. And I think that's the through line. And that's the through line is I am sharing my healed self and my healing self and every facet of that gem, sometimes it takes form and takes a form of me ranting about sexual assault. Sometimes it takes form of me ranting about capitalism or, you know, um, showing my 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 movement practice that I do every day while my kid is sleeping. Sometimes it takes form. I, the, well, no, the one I was just finishing up right before we got on recording was just me gardening, right? But the one thing that all those have in common is in some way, shape, or form the spirit of the thing is me showing my healing and hoping that just showing it is an invitation for other people to do it too and to feel like they can and to show them that it's worth it. I knew that was a layer to it. I just didn't realize that was like the base note. <laughs> that's
0: the whole rhythm section, man. That is, that's,
2: that's, that is like... That's the thing. That's the thing behind the thing in every single one of my videos, regardless of what is being expressed in the, in the words in the surface. And again, healing is a very bodily thing. I, I have to bring it up into my head so I can get it out of my mouth and into people's little magic pocket screens, but it's a, it's all, it starts in my body.
0: Well, and, and again, I mean, I, I think that you the distinction you made on one of your TikToks that it's, it's healing that you're working on and not fixing is is a takeaway oh, yeah. that a lot of people uh, could stand to hear, I think.
2: Yes, 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 yes. There's, so, so the one that I, that I just mentioned about my movement practice, I was a gymnast. So I used to be shredded, jacked, strong, flexible, quick, coordinated, skilled. And let's just say now I'm not. <laughs> those things <laughs> and right there you look at those two things and we are conditioned to believe that the next thing out of my mouth is going to be something akin to wishing i could go back to being those things that's like people can finish that sentence almost
0: uh-huh.
2: and so my movement practice now involves stretching it involves some flexibility work some mobility work some strength training but the thing the one Uh, crucial, essential, non-negotiable, indispensable, irreplaceable element that undergirds the entire thing for me is acceptance of what is, honoring what is. Because one of the things we do when we have body goals, those goals are a good thing. And the version of ourselves that we strive for is usually some better version than we have now. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that. Well, we are programmed to believe that the second we place that goal in our brains, we are supposed to breed discontentment for anything less. Even the word less, anything else.
0: Uh-huh, right.
2: And so then every single step in that direction that you take is riddled with at least a little bit of body shame, a little bit of lack of self-acceptance. A little bit of not good enough. I don't know anybody who needs to hear more that they're not good enough, much less tell ourselves that. And so what I'm cultivating is the mental practice of holding at the same time two seemingly oppositional things where I have this thing, I would like to be able to do this splits again just because I would like to. I like I, I like moving through the world in a human body better when that human body is very flexible and able, right? I would like to be able to do a backbend again. And so there is, I'm like holding loosely to that goal. But I'm not doing it so hard that when I when I sit here and do my straddle, I'm not measuring the increments of like the angle that I'm making to see if I'm making progress. I'm not looking at how much farther I have to go before I quote unquote get there. I'm not even comparing this to where I was when I started and saying, look at how much better I am. There's none of that. There's no comparison. Okay, hey bud. Can I have, can I have water? Tomorrow morning, for breakfast.
1: Can, can
2: here, I'm going to take this one and put it right here just for you for tomorrow. Hey, you come can in here I and have, get it.
1: Can I have chocolate? After no. no, we're not doing. No, I hey. chocolate after dinner.
2: Okay, you can have chocolate after dinner tomorrow. No today. Okay, I love you, baby. Close this. Okay.
0: Um. Well done. Well done. My coworker, everybody. Thank you. (laughs) Um,
2: (laughs) Acceptance of what is.
0: There you go. There
2: you go. And, uh, And so, train of thought, train of thought, ADD, ADHD. Oh, so I'm not comparing myself to anything else. Not comparing myself to where I was, not comparing myself to where I'm going. I am just being in this thing while continuing to be consistent and intentional and kind throughout the act of putting my body through something That feels like a workout, but also a massage. Yeah. And that's my movement practice, allowing myself to be what it is, thanking my body for even doing the things I'm currently asking it to do, because it's more than I'm normally asking it to do, you know? And so there's gratitude and there's acceptance and there's kindness while also being disciplined and intentional and all of those things. Oh, this is my guy. I was looking for that earlier. <laughs> Can you close the door? Yes.
0: Thank you. Love it.
2: So so that kind of approach, I think, applies to more than workouts. I think it applies to your emotional development. I think it applies to growing as a father or a spouse or a, all those things I listed on my first day of therapy. They're not really me. They're just masks I wear.
0: You know, it's... Uh... <clears throat> this this has come up for me in my life it came up on our last podcast with alexa james who heads nami national alliance for mental Mm -hmm, illness in chicago um but it's this idea it's sort of this idea of it's like a an epidemic of of lack of self-love right like self-love and acceptance is got like if you knew how to teach that you you'd be a rich person right because it's uh it's a hard thing for people to, to get good at, right? Accepting your body the way it is, accepting the fact that I can't hit a driver more than 240 anymore, you know, like all these things. And I'm getting better at it. But gosh, if we could teach teenagers that, uh, particularly around ideas like body images, stuff like that, um, God, the world would be a, a, a better place. But I, yeah, I think you're, I think uh, I feel like your channel. And our ability to watch you work on your own healing and self-love uh, is, uh, is uh, it's touching some people. Yeah. You know. Well,
1: before, before you ask your four questions, the only thing I'll say, and it's opening a can of worms that we're not gonna be able to explore is the difference between, between teaching that, which is love as we teach fear, which is something that Ryan talked about on some of his previous TikToks. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, I think as a culture, as a society, we prefer to teach fear over love. And so that makes it difficult, I think, for all of us to work through that.
2: Yeah. Well, it takes fear, extra work. Is, it takes extra it's, work. It's, it's easy. Fear is easy. Uh, and it, it's a really good way to control behavior.
1: Well, it's, yeah. I mean, it's part of our human makeup as well.
2: Yeah. Well, that's the other thing. Like we're talking about self love, right? And I had two thoughts. First, if we could teach like you were talking about like if we could teach self-acceptance and self-love right that's why i keep coming back to modeling because when i teach somebody something i am attached to the outcome that they will learn it i used to teach guitar and for kids to kids and i was really bad at teaching guitar to kids because i get i did not have a lot of patience for them not picking up on this stuff and um i think i'd be a little bit different now as a parent but back then i just i should have been teaching adults <laughs> who already knew something you know yeah um because I was actually being hard on myself and making it an indictment on my ability to teach if they weren't learning. And really, the thing that was causing them not to learn was the fact that they weren't practicing because they didn't want to because their parents put them in this class because their parents wanted them to be the next Taylor Swift. Mm-hmm. But I'm making it about me, right? And so I forgot where I was going with that. Oh, if we could teach um, if we could teach self-acceptance and self-love. The one thing that I can control is me, which is why I go back to modeling. If I can model self-acceptance and model self-love, that's the closest I'll get to actually being able to teach it effectively Mm -hmm. because it circumvents the whole trying to make somebody learn a thing. But I'm just creating an environment in which that learning can happen if that learning is there for them to do, if they're ready for it, if they're primed for it, if they're looking for it, and if they're open to it. But that's all outside of my control, so I don't want to create a framework in which quote-unquote, success is predicated on those things. And then the second thing I was going to say was, I think we need to expand our idea of what self-love is. Because negative self-talk is something that started out as self-love and just took a wrong turn. Because it's there to kind of, because it's like, the way I think about it is like, there's a part of my brain that reviews things in the past and goes through it with a red pen and says, here's how you could have done this better right? That's not helpful, but it thinks it's helpful. So can I take that person and just give them a new role in the organization and bring them up up into the present and say, hey, do that thing in the present that you're normally doing in the past, because that's helpful. right? And and so there are things that that feel unhealthy. There are things that feel detrimental. There are things that feel difficult and uncomfortable and painful that we do to ourselves. And we think that's not self-love, but it's born out of self-love. Self-preservation is self-love because I want to preserve my kid and, you know, hedge the risk of danger, right? And the part of you that wants to preserve yourself does that because it loves yourself. But then the behaviors and patterns that we, that we, that that come out of our self- preservation instincts, those are the problems because we're not taught how to do that well, right? And so I think if we can breathe some, some, some expansion into how we Define what self-love is. We can start to learn that all of the things that motivate us come from the fact that we already love ourselves. It's just a matter of do we have the appropriate tools to express that love in a way that is health for us and the people around us.
0: I'm buying it. I I I, I think it's a it's an awareness that uh, that I only just had like this that's the key to teaching that is is uh is well the same way we teach three-year-olds right
2: model. Modeling. just model it yeah model yep. it and accept that they are where they are
0: yeah well ryan um so here's the deal by signing up you committed to try to answer four questions at the end of this podcast um <laughs> no, <one> no, try. <laughs> yeah it's uh it's they're they're not hard there's no right or wrong answers uh yeah inside actor studio kind of deal here four questions are you are you ready
2: I am red. No, I'm not. I'm not ready, but ask anyway.
0: (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, First question is what do you wish you could have told your 10 year old self?
2: Nothing, nothing different than what I told him when I was 10.
0: Which was the most formative year of your life?
2: (laughs) Oh, the 11th. The year that my dad stopped hitting us. Oh, wow. Cold Turkey.
0: Wow. Um, I'll just say, at the last podcast, I kicked myself for keeping this question in there because people answer it, and then I want to know why. Uh, so, thank you for volunteering. <laughs> uh, and uh, that's that makes a lot of sense. Uh, third question: What do you hope that people will say about you at your wake? I don't. Finally. I don't
2: have I don't have anything that I hope they say about me. I, no, I hope that what they say is honest.
0: For a second, I thought you were hoping not to have a
2: wake. Uh and no, 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 no. I, I don't I don't have I'm not attached because then if I have that attachment, I'm gonna start trying to like live my life in a way that makes them say that. And then I'm outsourcing my funeral to, you know, all that stuff. So I hope that they're truthful. That's great. What they talk about. That's great.
0: Uh last question. Do you have a mantra in life or or even one these days?
2: Um right now my mantra is get off TikTok. <laughs> i have to tell myself that so many times a day <laughs> if i don't tell myself that i will just be on tiktok and i will not get paid enough for that i literally have to say out loud ryan get off of tiktok and focus on something else.
0: that was so confusing <laughs> to me because i'm like
2: so <laughs> <laughs> I'm like
0: what the fuck we just spent an hour and 15 minutes about. No, uh, but what uh, you mean is you mean not to spend all of your day on tiktok
2: yeah if i had to give like a, a non stupid answer to that um my um uh, my mind's there's nothing
1: is, no that's not a stupid answer no, that actually know. is a very good answer
2: <laughs> um ah oh, shit no i don't I, I, mean, I have i have some here's how my brain works i have some that i they're my like re, my repeat mantras but i only even remember them when they're appropriate in the moment and i need to hear them and when i don't i i flush the cash yeah, yeah. like I've always said. Like if I had a superpower, my superpower would be able to know anything on command. But when I'm not knowing anything, I don't know it. Yeah, you know. And so that's kind of how, like I do. They're there. They're in there. I don't know any of them right now because I don't. Yeah, I don't need any of them. The situation doesn't necessarily You're just
0: it. you're always trying to protect your RAM, aren't you? You know. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right, I do. Well, I don't even say I forgot. I'll, I'll, I'll I don't say I forgot something because that sounds like it's accidental. My phrase is now I cleared the cache. I cleared the cache on that. I don't. I didn't have room for all that. It'll be back when I need it. It's in there somewhere, but I don't, I, I only have so much. Yes. I only have so much RAM. I have like two, like two gigs of RAM, like one little RAM stick with only like one little <laughs> things. Need there's no upgrading RAM. it. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there's no upgrade. The slot is literally only that big. I need a whole new motherboard if I was going to have more RAM. And then we're talking about new, yeah, <laughs> new processors. And it's all good where it is.
0: All right. There you go. There you go. This is for all of our techie listeners out there. Um <laughs> Ryan, dude, I'm personally very happy to be connected with you through men living. And I, I, my understanding is that we may see you in January. Is that, did I hear that correctly?
2: Yes, there are two, there are two mancations back to back right there at that time of year. And um, they're both life giving in different ways, but I don't really want to be away from my son for both of them. And so I'm just kind of like weighing the options.
0: Okay. Okay.
2: So there it, it may, I'm Yeah there's a chance
0: i'm not trying to i'm not trying to put a spot there. here um in any case I'm, i I know that i'll see you again and i'm grateful for that so thanks for joining us well
2: thanks for asking me this was a lot of fun that went by really fast
0: always good to see you
2: always good to be seen
0: <laughs> take care thanks a lot, Peace, guys take care bye bye this is chris thanks again for joining us on this episode of if you've come this far
1: and this is Sean. Remember to check us out at mnliving.org.